Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our all-church study, Anchored. This anchor of hope is the certainty and the promise that God is who He says He is, and that God will do what He said He will do. What God does for us is grounded in who God is, and knowing who God is provides an anchor in life, giving us a secure foundation on which to build our lives. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. We're grateful to be together in the presence of God. I want to encourage you that as we're here today, that we are present with God who is holy. And we're kicking off something that we call our old, our all-church study. So let me just take a moment to explain to you what our all-church study is. It's a time when we gather with everyone as a church on Sunday morning and we study something. And during the week, we encourage people, particularly adults, to, to uh, join life groups. They're small group gatherings of adults where they read the Bible, where they build community, and where they care for one another. And uh, We call it an all-church study because it really has three components. Based on what I preach on on Sunday mornings, based on what we do in our small groups, our life groups, and there's also some daily scripture readings for your personal devotion. And so in this eight-week season, we're really literally on the same page together. And when we do this, we've discovered that God will do some accelerated growth in each of our spiritual lives. So we want to encourage you to get a copy of the book that we have written for this. It's called Anchored. You can pick one up in the cafe afterwards. If you prefer electronic versions, the PDF is available on our website. For those who are with on our online campus, we do encourage you to go to our website and pick up a copy of it from the, uh, the PDF. And we just want to encourage you to, to dig in and dive deep during this season. So... Today, we're going to be talking about one of the attributes of God, because that's what Anchored is about, that, that there are many attributes of God. We're actually going to only look at uh, eight over the eight-week season, but uh, we want to encourage you just to, to dig in. And today, we're going to look at uh, the holiness of God. Now, we all know this. We know that assumptions are not good to make. Uh, you know, you shouldn't make an assumption because it's more than likely it's going to make a fool out of you. But today, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to make an assumption that just about everybody in this room has seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. Let me just do the opposite. Anybody has never watched The Wizard of Oz? Wow, I made a pretty safe assumption. There were no hands up. Anybody really freaked out by the flying monkeys? Yeah, 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 there's some hands there. Yeah, there we go. So, well, look, I'm not going to talk about the monkeys, okay? So don't worry about that. Uh, I want to talk about The Wizard. Remember how awesome and uh, otherworldly he presents himself to Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion. Um, You know, when they first go in to see the the wizard, they're anxious, they're frightened. They go down this long, dimly lit hallway uh, into the inner inner sanctum where the uh, Wizard of Oz is. And they're greeted with... uh, sounds of explosion and with flames and with all this green smoke. And, and then finally, as the smoke clears, this, there's this menacing, bodiless head. And the wizard says, I am Oz, great and terrible. Who are you? Now, now Dorothy, if you remember the movie, she attempts a response and the wizard shouts, silence. And then he calls the foursome forward and he demonstrates what seemingly is divine knowledge of why each one of them has come to the wizard that day. 
And as after he tells them why they're there, he says, I'm going to help you get that. I, I, and he promises to fulfill their request if they will complete what we all know when we hear it is an impossible task. Um, but amazingly, as the movie goes, you know that they, they accomplished that impossible task and they returned to the wizard to ask him to fulfill his promises. And they stand before that bodiless, green, bald head with all the fire and the smoke and the loud sounds and, and he continues to shout at them and he says that uh, they'll have to come back the next day. Well, they all protest. They, you know, they, they step forward to protest, it, to which the wizard shouts with more fire and more smoke and more sounds. And he says, do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. And in frustration, Dorothy responds, if you were really great and powerful, you would keep your promises. To which the wizard responds, do you presume to criticize the great Oz? Now, while he's saying that, we watch Dorothy's little dog, Toto, go over to a curtain. And Toto grabs it and pulls it back and reveals a man who's working all of these levers and shouting into this cone. And we realize that he is the Oz. And remember what he says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. He realizes he's exposed. And the foursome realizes that he's not all-powerful, that he's all, not all-knowing, that he's not divine, but that he's a fraud, that he's just another person. And they tell him he's a humbug. And Dorothy says, you're a very bad man. You know, when I, when I think of that whole picture of the, uh, of the Wizard of Oz and how he presents himself, I have to tell you that I'm reminded of the vision of the prophet Isaiah, what he had a vision of God. And, and I want to read it to you because uh, it gives us a sense of the grandeur and the almighty nature and the holiness of God. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I had a vision of the Lord. He was on his throne high above, and his robe filled the temple. Flaming creatures with six wings each were flying over him. They covered their faces with two of their wings and their bodies with two more. They used the other two wings for flying and they shouted, Holy, 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 Lord all-powerful, the earth is filled with your glory. As they shouted, it says the doorpost of the temple shook and the temple itself was filled with smoke. So, you know, what, what Isaiah saw was no humbug. Uh, you know, it, it was no human being. It was awe-inspiring. Now, I wondered a little bit about the author of The Wizard of Oz, Frank Baum. And so I, I did a little research. He was born in 1856 in western New York. And during that time period in our nation, that was when the Second Great Awakening happened. And there was a religious fervor as people were coming to faith uh, left and right. But during this season, too, there were also people who, who were using that religious fever and that fervor, not for the glory of God, but oftentimes for the glory of human beings. And uh, it was in that culture that uh, he grew up. And one of his, uh, uh, one person who studied him, Chloe Shama, writes that Baum uh, had a skepticism about God and, and even more a skepticism of people 
who would pose as godlike figures. And so when you think about that, in the, in the character of Baum's wizard, you see a figure trying to present himself as all-powerful, as awesome, as holier than thou, like God. But in fact, the wizard's just a charlatan. He's, he's just a huckster pretending to be something that he's not. And yet I wonder, I wonder if there was something in Frank Baum's life, an underlying yearning for an experience with a truly holy God. Today we're going to look at the holiness of God. And, uh, you know, in the, in the book of Hebrews, it says that we have uh, this hope as an anchor. And, and if you go back and study that verse, the hope that the author of Hebrews is talking about is that the promises of God are true, that God is who he says he is, that God will do what he says he, do, he will do. And, and in Scripture, we see that God tells us he is holy. And so we're going to look at that holiness of God because God is not a humbug. He's not a fake. He's the real deal. So let's talk first about this. God is holy. Pastor Tony Evans shares a story in one of his sermons. It's an illustration about dishes. And in this illustration, it makes sense because he's talking about holy. And he talks about in my home and in most homes, he says, there are two types of dishes. There are the regular dishes, the ones that you corner off with French fries and ketchup and that you use for your average meal on a normal day for your ordinary and unimpressive breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Some of them are chipped, maybe even cracked, but you don't mind. You don't whine over them because if you had to throw them away, that's okay because they're not special, right? We all have some dishes like that. But he says, then there's another type of dish. He says, these dishes do not see the light of day until maybe there's a Christmas tree in the corner of the room with lights flickering on and off. And, and then they come out on the dinner table. Something magnificent, he writes, has to happen under the roof to make the use of those dishes necessary. And he says, when all is normal again, when the candles have been blown out, when the wrapping paper has been scattered and collected, when the guests have finally gotten up from the table, those dishes, after being cleaned, they're not put in the regular cabinets. I mean, if it's like my house, they're actually put in a, another set of cabinets that's in a different room where you can sort of see them on display and, and uh, ooh and awe at them. Those dishes are unique. Those di dishes are different. Those dishes are other than. They're distinct. They're, they're separated from the normal. So he says, you know, metaphorically, we could say that these dishes are, are holy. They're set apart. So let me ask you a question. Why then is the holiness of God important? It's important to us because God's holiness depicts the moral purity and excellence of God. God is completely pure. His morality is perfect. The root idea behind the word holy is to be set apart, to be set apart for good things, to be separate for good things. And because of his inherent holiness, God is distinct from everything that is impure 
or unholy. Now, when we think that through, that means that God is unlike any and every human leader that there has ever been across the history of time. There has never been anyone who is holy like God. In fact, it doesn't matter how good or how pure that leader is. They will never be as good or as holy as God. And and think this through. Because God is morally pure and excellent, that means he cannot be less than who he is. He can't be fake like the wizard was. Because he's holy and pure, He won't do what the wizard did to Dorothy, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the cowardly lion. He will keep his promises. He won't say, come back another day. Because he's holy, God can't make promises and then not keep them. That would be against who he is. So when I speak about God, let me say this. When I speak about God, I'm talking about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one revealed in three persons, and and so we understand that. So what the Bible says about either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit is meant about all three. So we read this about God in the book of Hebrews, specifically about God the Son, but we understand this is about all of who God is. It says, He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has never been set apart. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place and honor in heaven. So to be holy is to be without blame, to be without sin, to be set apart from sinful people. Jackie Hill Perry has recently written a book called Holier Than Thou, and in it she writes, God is holy, so then God is also sinless. To say that God is sinless is to say that God is without fault, or to say that God is without fault is to say that God is morally pure. It might be difficult or at least interesting to imagine a being so different from us that in that regard one in whose mouth you'd be hard-pressed to find deceit. Scriptures tell us that. One in whose eyes are too pure to look on anything wicked. Scripture tells us that. But even if it's difficult to imagine, we dare not imagine God in any other way. At the point when we begin to think of God as being anything other than holy, it's the moment we're imagining a completely different divine being altogether. It's not God. So this means that God is always going to be holy. God is always going to be perfect. He's always going to be blameless. He's always going to be pure. He's always going to be sinless. And yes, he's always going to be set apart from us. But that means something really important to us, that we can trust the Holy One. We can trust the Holy God. So let me ask you a second question. How does God's holiness help you trust him? How does God's holiness help you trust him? If God is without blame and without sin, he is different than every single human being on earth. I think we all agree with that. Where humans are sinful, God is sinless. Where humans deserve blame for pain and suffering that they cause, God doesn't cause any 
sin or blame or, sh- or suffering. Where we are imperfect, God is perfect. And here's the paradox about the holiness of God. God is without blame and without sin. He's set apart from sin. That means more than he is just different from sinful human beings, it also means that God cannot tolerate to be in the presence of sin. So he cannot tolerate our sinfulness or to be in our presence because Scripture tells us that we as human beings are sinful people. But here's the paradox. This holy God pursues us, his unholy, his sinful people. God loves us so much that he is willing to pursue his unholy people without any limits. In fact, the story of Scripture is the story of God pursuing us with a love that we can't completely comprehend. In fact, when we look at it, we would label that kind of love as reckless. Now, why would we call God's love reckless? Because he loves humanity. And he is holy and sinless, and he is loving a sinful and an unholy people who will let him down, who will turn their backs on him, who will reject his love, and who will not reciprocate to his offer for a relationship with him. That indeed is reckless. But he's so holy, he can't do anything else because it it combines all of who God is, his love for us, his desire to be in a relationship with us, And that's the paradox of all that God is, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his judgment of sin is combined in who he is as a holy God who desires to know his unholy people. Again, I I like how Jackie Hill Perry puts it. She goes, there are times when our conversations about the holiness of God make it seem as if holiness is a part or a piece of God, that God moves in between attributes when deciding how to be. That one day he chooses to be loving. Another day he chooses to be vengeful. That if God were a pie, think about this, holiness would just be a slice that is set aside from the others. On one plate is holiness, on another plate is love, and another plate is another attribute. Holiness, though, is not an aspect of God that's separate from the others. Holy is who God is. He is through and through holy. And his attributes are never at odds with one another, so they don't need to switch places depending on God's mood that day. God is all of his attributes. And that simply means that God is love and pure, holy love and everything else. When, when God reveals himself as judge pouring out his cup on the deserving, he has not ceased to be loving or holy. In all that God does, he is always himself. So that means God can be trusted. 
You know, in the Old Testament, they often talk about the holy name of God. Now, this was because in, in one of the ways that God instructed us to honor him and to respect him was by honoring his name. Remember, in the Old Testament, we're not to use the name of the Lord God in vain, as it says in the Ten Commandments. And so many of the ancient Hebrews would actually avoid saying the name of God, and they would refer to the holy name of the Holy One. And so we, we read this in Psalm 33. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. To trust in his holy name is to trust in God. We rejoice because of who he is. It's not watered down according to the life we live in or the culture or the ways of the world. So I hope you've seen that because God is holy, you can trust him. Of course, the holiness of God isn't just a neutral attribute of God that we occasionally discuss in a sermon series. God is holy. And because he's holy, that actually demands a response from those who follow him and believe in him. So let's talk about a holy response. In the Old Testament, God commanded his followers, and this is what he said. We read, about, read this in the book of Leviticus. He actually says it several times in Leviticus, but we'll just look at chapter 20. God says, you are to be holy. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So God says, listen, I'm holy, and as my chosen people, you need to be holy. I've been set aside. You need to be set aside. You're not, you don't need to be like the rest of the world, like the rest of the culture. Now, that thought didn't end in the book of Leviticus. We actually see the apostle Peter picks this up, and he quotes it. We read in the first chapter of 1 Peter these words, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and here he quotes Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. We're told to be holy. In fact, the Bible tells us that God wants us to share in his holiness. So how do sinful people, how do unholy people become holy? How do we respond? Well, I want you to see that there's a connection. There's a connection between uh, beholding or, or seeing God in, in our mind's eyes and believing in God and becoming who God wants us to be, holy. So what I'm going to describe is what theologians call the process of, of sanctification. And, and I'm going to use it as an illustration that, that comes out of uh, some of Jesus' teaching. Now, the verses won't be on the screen, but, but I want you just to listen to this. You know, Jesus often spoke to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he reminded them of their titles to show the inconsistency of knowing a whole lot about God's word and living a righteous, or in their case, an unrighteous life. You see, they dedicated their lives to the study of God's word. They searched God's words, looking to see as if they would find eternal life in the very words themselves. And in fact, if they had only believed what they knew from their study, they would know that eternal life was found in the one who was right before them, Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to them, he said to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, 
he wrote, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They study the word. They study the scriptures. They see it testifies to who Jesus is, and yet they refuse to believe in him. And after that searching, uh, he goes on and says this. He says, listen, if you believed Moses, which they said they did, you would believe in me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Beholding Christ, they did not become like him because they didn't believe what was already written about him. So think this through. When people are presented with the person of Jesus Christ, they have a choice to believe in him or not. While the Pharisees actually saw Jesus on earth, They didn't believe in him. In fact, even though the scriptures that they read and studied regularly testified that the Messiah was coming and it was clear that Jesus was the Messiah, they didn't believe in him. And as a result, they didn't follow him. And in not following in him and believing him, they didn't become who God wanted them to become. Now, you know, when we, sometimes when we read about the Pharisees and we say, whoa, wow, whew, I'm glad I'm not like them, uh, we need to have a gut check. Um, because there have been a lot of people through history who have read the Bible as another piece of literature, and they haven't believed in Jesus who was presented to them in the Scripture. But at the same time, there are many Christians Many of us maybe in this room or watching online who have read the Bible regularly like the Pharisees. They've studied it. They've gone to tons of Bible studies and they've seen the person of Jesus presented in Scripture. But they haven't believed in Jesus. And that means there's an obvious disconnect. Because recognizing who Jesus is, that's beholding him, will lead to believing in him. And when we really believe in him, that will lead us to become who God wants us to be as his followers. It's the difference between giving God lip service and giving him our life as service. Becoming more like Jesus, who is holy, is what God desires of us. And it comes when we see who Jesus is, we believe in him, and we start to follow him, and we become more and more like him every day. We have a holy God. That's good news. Because there is no one like him in heaven or on earth. But he calls us to follow him, and it calls for a holy response. He wants us to follow him and become more like the people that he's called us to be. Not just because he wants us to to be something, it's because that he desires for us to be the fullness of what he created us to be. Will we be perfect? No. But he has that plan for our forgiveness through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross to, to bring us forgiveness. And we can receive that every time we truly confess our sins and then seek to follow him again. So, we have to ask ourselves, will you just behold who Jesus is, or will you take the next step? Will you believe in him and become what he wants you to be? What will you do with the holiness of God? 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.